You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Welcome everyone to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Rachel, thanks for joining us today. We're in a series called Salty, where we're talking about how Christians should should stick out for the right reasons. This entire series is so great. And following each sermon on our podcast, we're gonna be hearing from the pastors who taught the sermon, discuss more questions that we all have surrounding these topics. We're gonna have all of these podcasts recorded on video as well. So if you wanna watch the video, all you have to do is go to clearcreekresources.org where you can find them. Today, Ryan sat down with Yancey Arrington and Aaron Lutz to discuss how the world perceives Christians and the Christian faith, and whether it's the Christian's job to confront sin in the world. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, hey, thanks guys for joining us in this conversation. So a recent uh, survey from LifeWay pointed out that people aged 23 to 30, have the majority have been leaving the church, and uh, the, the reasons cited are that Christians are viewed as divisive, hypocritical, and judgmental. So I want to talk a little bit about how, um, do you think that that is a prevalent view of Christianity within America today? Yeah, I, I would argue that it is, or at least it's a growing view. And it depends on which generation, you know, you, you, you cited, you know, it's this kind of from here to here, or this kind of group, you know, you're going to Gen Z. And if you keep going older, it's, you know, Gen Z or, you know, uh, millennials and then Gen X and then baby boomers and all. I think the further you go up, or if you will, the older that you go, you're, you're probably more uh, kind to Christianity, but the younger you get, the more hostile you are. So I, that, that's how I would answer that question. Are you seeing the same thing here? Yeah, I would say generally that's probably true, that there's a negative perception of Christianity. And certainly we can find people in our community, people in our school districts and our businesses that are outside of the church that look on the church favorably for what we bring to the community and the difference that we make. But man, you go look on social media or anywhere else, and there is obviously uh, a negative perception of the church as well. Yeah. So what are some of those criticisms that, that you either hear or you read about when in you know social media worlds or you just interact personally with people? I mean, you mentioned some of them. Judgmental is probably one of the ones that hits the top of the list uh, for most people. I've kind of had like two categories, people that are hypercritical yep. or hypocritical, right? People who are just like loud and criticize the culture and the world and everything that's wrong with the world that, on, you know, the assumption is that's the church, that all of Christians think this way and are hypercritical. And then you have the hypocritical, like, man, they're not even living what they actually believe. Their divorce rate is the same. Their abuse of, you know, of people, leadership, pride, all of like sexual sin. And all of that is still prevalent within Christianity. And so hypercritical, hypocritical. Yeah, I would completely agree. There's a, I don't even know if many people could even point to a specific example in their life. They've kind of been caught up in the the zeitgeist of kind of where everything is with Christianity, because it's just really cool and popular and hip to knock on Christians Mm. today. And so... Uh, and, and so they, they tend to speak in generalities, like, you guys are bigoted, you're closed-minded, uh, you're uncharitable, and the list goes on and on and on. Then you kind of ask, well, how so? And they, they might point to one person who they make the spokesperson for sure. all of Christianity, which none of us would be like, no, even if we picked someone, which we wouldn't, <laughs> it's not that person. But that's kind of where we are. And so I mean, Aaron's completely right, and I know, Ryan, you would see this as well. You go on any social media platform, like I subscribe to a couple of different periodicals. And when someone talks about the faith, even if it's a story about faith, whether it's positive or negative, just the the comment section 
is is the vitriol against mm-hmm. Christianity is is something I've never seen before in my lifetime, and I do think it is a sign of the times of where we are. I think it also depends on where you live. If you're kind of in the southern states, there's probably a little more uh, leeway, but even that's starting to change. I mean, we live in the most diverse city in the United States, and I can just tell you, just by talking to people and even going into town, so to speak, uh, there is, a, 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 I would say, a growing anti-Christian kind of vibe for all the reasons that, that uh, we've mentioned. So in, in Matthew five thirteen, Jesus, you know, he's got the the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins you know, towards the beginning of it. He talks about how uh, his followers ought to live like salt in the world. They should have a, an influencing presence yeah. in the world for God's glory, building His kingdom. And so, um, as you think about how Christians live their their faith out in the world. How, what part of that is, is, is there an aspect where Christians ought to be calling out sin or confronting mm-hmm. sin within the broader culture? I mean, even amongst people who, who wouldn't say they, they follow God, maybe even amongst atheists, like, is there a, a role within the Christian worldview to, to call out sin and brokenness? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the short answer is yes. That's not the hard question. The hard question is how do we do that yeah. in a way that's, that's winsome, that's the that that would be in line with the saltiness that God calls us to be. Because the idea of salt, at least in the Matthew five thirteen passage, is something that uh, it sounds like Jesus is speaking of it as a good thing that people still want to use. Uh, and in fact, he he contrasts that with when you lose your saltiness, you're not good for anything. It's said to be thrown out and trampled by men. So, to me, the question is not should we speak out of those uh, speak out uh, against kind of cultural sins. The question is how should we do that. And when should we do that? And that's the million-dollar question, because Jesus says we're to be as innocent as serpents, excuse me, innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. And so there's a, I think it's interesting that that uh, that language, I say Jesus says that, that's New Testament language. It, there's, there's, there's a part of doing what we do that's prophetic. The church should stand out. It's like in the 60s and 70s and 50s, I should say, 50s and 60s, where you had the church standing out. Uh, against racism. They were for a civil rights movement, experienced a lot of aggression against them. But people like Martin Luther King Jr. and so on and so forth really held up a a standard that said, really, this doesn't reflect the kingdom. Racism doesn't reflect the kingdom. And they were very prophetic in it. But it's the way that MLK did what he did, using this as an example, where he's like, we're going to be anti-violent. We're going to be pro-love. We're going to, you know, it's... It's the way that you do those things, which to me is just as important about what are we going to decide to do it on. And so you, you have immigration, you have uh, uh, gender dysphoria, you have now at the, the top of the list right now is uh, the abortion issue, and we could go on and on and on and on. And the question to me is really, how do we approach this in a way where we can gain the ears of our listeners that honors different perspectives but still points them to a kingdom ethic. That's yeah. what I would say. Well, is there a difference today, though, that, um, you know, and not that we would try to claim that there was a, a Christian nation point where, where maybe MLK is addressing a Christian nation, but he, he was oftentimes pointing to biblical principles of justice as an appeal towards uh, white followers of Jesus to say, you know, repent and, and align yourself with what Scripture says here. And so it, the prophetic voice, it seemed to be uh, a lot towards those who would call themselves followers of Jesus. And so is, is there a, a distinction between calling people who would say, hey, I'm, 
I, I follow God. I want to know God. I, I believe this, the truth of his scripture. And so I want to align my life with that. And, and someone calling them to repent of, of living misaligned to that versus uh, an unbelieving culture and trying to uh, really call them to, to live into a Christian ethic when they're not really Christians themselves. Yeah, I think about you know, the life of Jesus and who he called out publicly versus who he corrected privately. So you can turn to like John 8, there's a woman caught in adultery. Jesus is really harsh on the religious leaders that bring, <clears throat> bring her to his, you know, to his feet. And then like, he say, hey, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. He corrects them publicly in front of everybody else. But when everybody else leaves, he turns to her privately and says, hey, go and sin no more. So he, he corrects her sin, but in a much more conversational, much more winsome, much more grace-filled way. Uh, I think about John 1, where Jesus described as f- he's full of grace and truth. And that that order matters. Like Jesus showing grace first earned him the right to speak truth into people's lives that a lot of religious leaders didn't have the right because they weren't in relationship with him. Um, and so I think our role <clears throat> in that prophetic voice, to your point of like, is MLK calling out the church versus all of society. I think our role in the prophetic voice is to, to seek God's kingdom. I mean, that's in the same passage. Matthew 5 is followed by Matthew 6, where Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should seek God's kingdom to come um, first in prayer, then in action. Um, but we, you know, I think we call out the sin of the culture in a different way than we do to those that are within the church and Christianity. Does that make sense? No, I, I think it makes uh, complete sense. I also think that, I mean, what, you did a message not too long ago on justice. We did, I think, a year ago, a whole series in the Minor Prophets. And you, you see prophets of Israel and Judah calling out the sins of other nations. They're not, they're not a part of the covenant people. And so th- there's this idea that God's standard is God's standard. Now, they were led by the Spirit to address those specifically, so I don't think that gives us carte blanche to say whatever we want to say at whatever time we want to say it. But I do think there's a... I mean, if we're going to invoke... And I'm, I started it off with Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, he, he did go and sit right in front of, you know, uh, there in D.C. at the square, if you will, and address the nation. Yeah. And so it wasn't just Christians. It was, it was the nation as well. And I do think there's times where the Spirit moves the church to address things nationally, I just think that we have to be wise about how we do that. that that's really what I'm, I'm arguing. I do think you start with the church. I do think it's like, where has the church made its missteps? And I think you have to speak to the church differently than what you'd speak to the culture because they're not regenerated. Right. They don't have the... They, they don't have the same ethic that we... Yeah, yeah, there's no impulse for them to embrace that ethic. So to talk to them like William Wilberforce did uh, in England about slavery for a lot of his constituents or a lot of his, uh, his fellow lawmakers, he had to talk to them about like why slavery is just a moral evil period, notwithstanding how it relates to the Christian God and kingdom ethic, like why it's better for us as Englanders, as the British, to have slavery off the table. Mm. I, I think that's the kind of wisdom that the church needs to have if they're going to engage this, if you will, outside of the church to people that aren't followers of Jesus. But we would want to do that for anything. Like when we preach... And we talk to people about, like, here's what God says to followers of Jesus. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me tell you some reasons why uh, this is the right way and why Christ... I mean, the whole idea of evangelism is based on this idea that we want to show people that don't have any impulse for the kingdom, why they should, and why Jesus is the answer for that. I just think we have to apply it to other issues. But I, I do think that's more of an art 
than a science, and far too often it seems like the church has gotten it wrong, at least sections of the church have, because mm. it, it, in the end, if you're alienating people in such a way that's unnecessary, if you're having people starting to call you names that, that really, you didn't earn them for the right reasons, but the wrong reasons, I think that's where we have to be careful. Yeah. When the church becomes known for what we're against, not what we're for, it's a dangerous place to be culturally. And so we mentioned earlier, like hypercritical, hypocritical, judgmental. But another phrase that you've used before, Yancy, is like we're known for anti-science. We're anti-intellectual. And that's just not necessarily true of the whole church. But when we're known for what we're, we're against more than what we're for, it's a dangerous place to be culturally. And think, think about how, you know, I, I spoke recently in the message to start off this whole series, talk about cringy Christianity. Yeah. And... I mean, I think our listeners and the people at Clear Creek could give a thousand examples, but when, when basically your faith is essentially what you just put on the back of your bumper, it's on a bumper sticker, and it really is kind of inflammatory, like, this is what I believe, I don't care what y'all believe, it's, it's that kind of ethos that really is swimming upstream for everybody else, because we look at that and it just makes us cringe, not because that person's not well-meaning, but because of the way that it, it's received by other mm-hmm. people, it just reinforces this caricature that... Christians are anti this, that, and the other, and we, they don't even know what we're for. And so that's why you know Clear Creek's tried to work really hard, even with this series and series in the past and series in the future, of saying, hey, listen, if we're going to be missionaries, which is one of our gospel identities, how do, what's the best way to reach the people we love? And as Aaron said, it's, it's not by not telling the truth. Sure. It's how gracious in telling the truth can we be, and that's that's where you're trying to thread the needle and find the right combination, which far too many Christians, it seems like in the past, don't really care about. They want to hit a lot, a lot, a lot of truth, but not a lot of grace. And, and I think that's probably where, at least some of where we are, where we are with a lost world that doesn't care much about Christianity and has a growing amount of criticisms mm-hmm. against it. Yeah. It seems like there's so many things that you could, um, you could speak out against and be an activist for. And uh, often, you know, I, I've, I've known people who, who struggle with you know, how and when do I really address certain things? Do I have to speak out against everything? And I know, I know there's some people out there that, that seem to do that pretty often, like whether it's um, a, a political thing for them or it's a, it's a Christian thing or, you know, or they just are an opinionated person. And so they are sharing their opinion in a lot of different ways. And then I see when it becomes um, a little bit more about faith and belief, they've already sort of planted the seeds in people's minds about who they are and what kind of tribe they are in. Yeah. And um, so how do you help someone think about some of those things? Like like what, if someone's trying to discern, what hill do I want to die on in all this? You know, like I don't want to turn someone away from the gospel. I don't want to create an unnecessary barrier for the gospel because the gospel is a barrier in and of itself yeah. for people that the Holy Spirit has to move in somebody's heart for, for it to uh, overcome. Um, but how do you filter out all those other opinions and positions that it seems like everyone in our culture has to make? I've got to make a statement about all these different yeah. things that might align me with something that really, you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to be aligned with. So how do you help someone discern through all that? Yeah, I have some thoughts, but I want to hear what you're talking about with like culture war stuff, like why we feel a need to fight certain battles on the fronts. And then I have a thought about that as well. Well, I do think that there's a long history of the church, especially in the 80s and 90s, late 70s, definitely in the 80s when I was a child, when I was a teenager and junior high student, uh, going into the 90s, where the church felt like it had to be the culture warrior for everything. Mm-hmm. 
And then really it just developed into this merger between the, the church and the state or the church and, and, and politics, uh, namely just one political party. And then they just adopted about four different issues that they're like, this is what Christianity should always be about and what right. they should always fight for. And, and I'm not even saying they were bad issues, although it just felt like they never progressed past those issues because uh, and, and, there were other issues, like we would say today, that the Christian church ought to speak into that, that, that one party just doesn't own. And so instead of... So I, it just it's just been a morass of different different trines of like uh, different ways the church has tried to be at the lead uh, of trying to help change the culture. The, the problem is with uh, with that at least the challenge I would say, and I'll speak of it as an individual level because I want to get back to your question, is that is that every person it seems like has their own hill they want to die on. Right. One person wants to die on immigration. Another person wants to die on orphan care. Another person wants to die on the abortion issue. Another person wants to die on the hill of racism. And I think all of those are legitimate hills to fight on. It, the, the difference is, is I think the Spirit leads us to each individual to, to pick whichever hill that is. The, the problem is, is when you think your hill's the only hill and that you call up your campus pastor saying, why aren't we doing more about this? Because this is the issue. When the truth is, it's not just the issue. There's a multiplicity of issues uh, because we, we live in a diverse society that has a bunch of different fronts we could fight on. And so, you know, I, that's how I feel about it, because I, there's certain things I'm personally convicted of more than, than others, and uh, I just don't want to make uh, my convictions everyone else's law. And I think far too often that happens. And, and pastors, campus pastors, they, they're, you know, I'm not trying to get the violin out and talk about how hard it is to be a campus pastor or a pastor in general, but, you know, you have people that, are, that feel very strongly about the views they hold and the causes they want to fight for. And you want to applaud that and support them as you can without saying, like, now it has to be everybody's cause. Mm. Because once it's everybody's cause, then these other causes that people feel passionate about get left behind. And this actually can feel very unloving, believe it or not. So that's the, that's the minefield we have to walk through. Because you want to encourage people, like, hey, listen, as the Spirit leads you, this is the kind of change you want to enact, and you feel like it's a, it's a kingdom ethic that you're trying to uphold. God bless you, man. Uh, but there's a thousand other hills that people want to die on as well. And so you, you want to encourage that without trying to make it the standard for everybody. That's the hard part. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but that's what comes to mind. No, the reason I wanted to go that direction is because we started with like, is this a generational issue, mm. right? And so the culture war thing, it's like when, when Christians were the majority of people in the country, uh, there were certain things that they could kind of hold with a tight fist, these certain four values or whatever those values yeah. were. But when the, the generations have shifted and now there's a negative view towards Christianity and we're no longer the majority, uh, there's still some that feel this need to like, I have to fight for this one thing. I have to like fight this culture war. And I just want to say, like, I don't feel the need to have to fight all those wars. I think I gain a lot more in conversation with people than I do in a social media post. So I think I can go to a conversation with someone who's opposed to Christianity. And even if I leave that conversation, I still hold the position they thought that I was going to hold coming into that conversation. They, if I can have a loving conversation with them, they leave with a greater understanding of Christ and his kingdom and his kingdom ethic uh, than just a, a, a post to defend a position that the culture war thing that I feel like I have to for my Christian standpoint. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we've talked about that before with yeah. social media tends to be an echo chamber sure, yep. in a lot of ways. Absolutely you end up is. having a lot of the same friends and all those things are curated. And it's just interesting. I, I saw a, a post from a friend recently that uh, was, you know, is involved with a, a recent culture war type of issue. Um, and it was probably espousing a, a, 
a viewpoint that would not be popularly a, a popular across the rest mm-hmm. of our culture, right? But you read down through the comments, they're all you know s- supporting this person's side. Well, right. it's because you know they, a lot of their friends, all those things are, are curated around that. So it's like you know I, I, I expected to see all these comments, these hateful things, because our culture would would definitely mm-hmm. be against what this person was saying. But they had so much support, and uh, it just goes to show it's hard to have a genuine conversation in there because. Um, it's hard to really ex- fully explain what you're saying, but also you end up just circling around with the same right. type of people that you came in with. Now think about that for a second, because we have talked about this, how, how social media is actually, the, the formulas oh, yeah. are, are really are really driven to put you in echo chambers. And so what happens is like, I've got it. I don't, I'm, I'm, I think you guys are probably similar to, to my feed and Facebook. I have a very diverse feed. I've got, you know, fa- uh, flaming liberal uh, politically, religiously, people on my feed, and and f- super far conservative religious people uh, on my feed, and they're they're back to back. And so, what's funny is they'll take any issue, whether it's uh, right now it's abortion. It, it last week it could be Afghanistan. The week before that it's going to be immigration. You know, just pick whatever, mm-hmm. and they'll say something that's just kind of full of uh, fight and vinegar and fire and they're all their comments are like yeah man way to go and then the very next post is from someone who's on the opposite side with the exact same kind of vim and vigor on the opposite way saying all these things in ways that would never be good in a public forum mm-hmm. and everyone else is going way to go and so what what social media has trained us to do is not is, is to, to to know not uh how not to have a conversation mm-hmm. Like you, you just can't get away with that. Like when Aaron talks about, I just want to sit down and have a, you know, tell you I love you and have a have a real conversation, which we're probably not going to agree on, but we can at least look at each other in the eye. And now that I see you face to face, I've got to change not what I'm going to say, but how I'm going to say this. You don't have to have any of that nuance in social media because you have people stroking your back every time because it so puts you into bubbles mm-hmm. and it's killing the way we interact. And Christians. They get discipled more by Facebook and by their disciples, whether it's CNN or Fox News or whatever, than it is on what what Jesus says in the Gospels about the kingdom. And so it's like we've we've forgotten how to talk with people mm-hmm. about things that are very important. That still we may wind up disagreeing, but there's a way to 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 be there's a way to disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah. And that's what we've lost in the social constructs yeah. today. True. Mm-hmm. And that message and the, the, the kicked off the salty series. You talked about on one end of the spectrum, you've got like quiet Christians yep. who end up just sort of removing themselves from a lot of, of the the conversations and um, and not living salty, influential yeah. lives. And so I, I sometimes wonder though if um, what might appear to be quiet to some is almost like a strategic silence on some things of like my silence on this issue it's not because i don't care about it right. but it's almost to to lend weight to my words when i speak out about these other things that god does put on my heart and so kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier um you know you, you can't speak out about everything you know right. because your voice almost dilutes itself because you end up having an opinion about everything and so um anyway just going back to the social media i mean i know that some people are real passionate about that. personally i usually don't you know, engage in a whole lot of social media, um, anything in general. A so lot you don't of even times. post pictures of your kids, or, <laughs> yeah, or I even know what Facebook is. Or, yeah, I do. I do know, I, yeah, yeah. I do actually. I, I I scroll through it a lot. I'm more of a lurker. Yeah, yeah. Ever, uh-huh. you know, I've said that before. But anyway, I just I feel like a lot of people probably uh, could stand to think about how can my silence on one things lend to the weight of my voice in another another platform, another issue. 
I just saw a pastor that we all know who's within the Acts 29 network, also lives here in Houston. I won't call his name out, but he he had a post just recently saying, like, maybe the reason why your pastor or your Christian friend hasn't posted on the issues that you're, you know, every everything that comes up on our social media, he, because they haven't posted on abortion, Afghanistan, you know, just whatever it is, right? Maybe the reason they haven't posted immediately is because they're trying to think of a wise way to speak about this. Maybe not, number one, in a public forum. And if it is in a public forum, a way that can bring people together instead of separate them unnecessarily. And I thought, like, yeah, what a super... I mean, those are the kind of posts I need to see. And I do think there's... You know, there's a couple of scriptures that I have written down that, I, that I'm reminded about. Silence can be a good thing. Proverbs 25, 12. Of course, it'd be Proverbs, wise ways mm-hmm. to live, right? But like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So you want to listen, right? Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. And that, you know, I, I know Aaron brought this up. I actually think Aaron, you and, you and Ryan are really good at this as well. But just, you know, before I tell you what I think, let me listen to what you say and listen to what you believe and listen to what you know makes you go. Uh, th- that's th- that's really what the scripture here is talking about. Just like listen to someone first yeah. before you give an answer, and and it's folly and shame to speak so quickly. And when we're when we've already built in our rapid response of what we're going to say without ever listening to what the person is trying to communicate, it means that we're trying to win an argument, not trying to win a relationship. And so those are the things I think that that can get us in trouble. But yes, there, there's there's a there's often a wise quiet. To us, what I was referring to in my message is kind of a resignation, like I'm not going to engage at all. I'm just going to be the quiet Christian, which is basically like I'm embarrassed about my faith, mm-hmm. and that's really what I was trying to deal with. Like I've removed myself from the from the playing field. Uh, I would say, that, I think Jesus would say, that's a no salt Christian because you're not influencing anybody. That, that's what I mean by that. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a good corrective. Yeah. But there's people that are going to make the assumption because they assume that we're quiet on something that we're a quiet Christian. When Correct. in reality, we're trying to be wise, yeah. right? And we talk a lot around here about we want to lead unchurched people to full devotion to Jesus. And so we make mission, ministry decisions around that mission. But we also, I also make personal social media decisions around that mission as yeah. well. Like I have in mind my top five. And I, as I think about how is this unchurched person going to read this social media post, I have to think about that. I also have to think, how am I going to lead the, the congregation that God has given me to lead to full devotion? So I want to encourage you and the things that you're passionate about, but I also want to keep in mind the unchurched person and how they're thinking about this social issue. And so I might be quieter on an issue than you would want me to be on your hot button issue, but it's because I have in mind leading unchurched people to full devotion to Jesus. It's a great model. I mean, that's a great model because we think about that oftentimes when we preach. Yeah, like I've got a. I, I'm going to talk about this issue to followers of Jesus, but I also want to keep in mind that what's that one person who's on my top five? If they were here today, and many times they may be, but if they were here today, how can I say this in the way that I could bring them in? They don't have to agree, sure. But how can how can I bring them in? And just, I mean, I really encourage people listening to this or watching this on YouTube, like take Aaron's wisdom to heart, like. Think about someone you love who is not a follower of Jesus that has the opposite position you do. How can you winsomely, and I know we use that term a lot because we like it, at least I like it a lot. How can we winsomely speak to them in a way that is truthful but full of grace in a way that we could hopefully, by the Spirit's work, bring them over, not just to believe what we believe, but to embrace Jesus. Yeah. And like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I agree with that, but the way that you've even spoken to me shows that you love me. That's what's really at a minimum in today's society. We just don't see it. And so the fact that that if Christians could not agree with everybody, but disagree lovingly, that alone would be a big dent in how the culture sees the faith. 
I've had friends in small group or friends that I've sat across the table from that were like, I wish people could experience Christian community like this mm. before they just make assumptions about the church. Like if people knew the way that you think about me and the way that you love me, like uh, it would open their eyes to that it's not just this caricature that we make of Christianity at times. It's not the negative portrayal that we see in social media. Uh, we just gotta love people. Grace before truth. Yep. Absolutely. And I think if, if we had that in mind as the ultimate purpose of whatever we speak out against or for, that if the ultimate goal is trying to lead people not to be condemned or to be judged, but to repent and and trust in Jesus and to experience the fullness of the gospel, I think we'd be better off. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for having this conversation. I appreciate y'all. Appreciate the way that you guys live into this and we we preach it and we love people well. So I'm grateful for you. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today. Mm